Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. Welcome to your Life's Work podcast. Big show today. Your worship needs to look like the practice of justice. Your worship, you're, if you're in a faith, faith community of any kind, Jew, Muslim, Sufi, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, the list goes on and on and on and on. If your worship does not look like the practice of justice, you are smoking the wrong spiritual pipe and you need to move on. My premise is very easy today, and there's just a couple pieces of main framing that we, I want to do. I want to hang a couple of frames on the wall just to stare at and look at. Number one, I'm going to be a little bit reactionary to what has been going on in our country as far as the George Floyd death in Minneapolis at the hands of a, of a police officer. It was brutal. It was horrible. There are absolutely very few words, if any at all, can contain the amount of sorrow and unbelievable grief and mourning that goes on in and around the death of that man. Regardless, this is me being reactionary as I beat on my desk, regardless of who that man was and what he did, the death of that man was horrendously wrong. He was a human being. Okay, good. There we go. We're going to move forward. Because there's been a debate. I've been literally hearing debate about what kind of a man he is. Meaning, meaning, if we kind of judge him a little bit, maybe it takes away from the sting of how he died. And that is bullshit. So we'll all agree, yes, and we'll move on. So that's my reactionary piece, because there's an actual debate going on, and I'll get into some of the debating, which I just find, I just can't believe that we're debating certain things right now, but I'll, I'll digress. But that's me being reactionary. Now, here's the other frame. So again, that, that first frame, right? <laughs> you get it, because I know you're upset too. The other frame I want to hang is my family, the five people in my family, me, my wife, my daughter, Mia, my middle boy, Angel, my youngest, Zian. We are all the benefactors of a civil rights movement that decided to not take any more bullshit in this arena. We are the benefactors. My family and its colors, okay? My daughter is half black, half white. My middle boy, Angel, is half Mexican, half white. Zian is all white. <laughs> like, he's, he's a white man, without a doubt. <laughs> Me, uh, I'm freckled. I'm freckled. If you were connect all my freckles together, you'd probably get half a black man and half a white man. And my wonderful wife, who is a Sicilian Italian, she can get very dark <laughs> um, if she lays out in the sun. But my family is the benefactor of people that decided, like Martin Luther King, that's the easiest guy to look to because we know who he is. And we know who he is because he decided to stand nonviolently and not take any shit when it came to equity and freedom and equality and no more oppression. He decided that as a, as a movement, it was right and just to inform the people of the world that there should be no more oppression. And he did that, good people, based on his love for the divine and his love for his people, in air quotes, and his love for humanity. So back in the 60s and the 70s, they didn't put black people with white people when there is adoption. It was kind of shunned upon. It, it, it wasn't, 
it's not that it didn't happen, because it did happen in a few circumstances here and there. But for the most part, people thought, well, black people should be with black people, and white people, white, white kids should be with white parents, and black kids should be with black parents. That was a thing. The thinking being that, well, they're similar and they're alike, and that's just how it needs to be. Because love over there, well, certainly isn't love over here. Right? That's the way they thought. Well, well, black bonding and attachment and love is different than white bonding and attachment and love. And white bond is different than black. And, it, and it's bullshit. So over the course of time, families like mine have got to be families like mine. Because Di and I wanted a family. We wanted to take care of children. And we wanted children. Right? We wanted to be a mom and a dad. And so as we recognized our need for that, it became clear that we should probably adopt out of foster care. This is our story. It doesn't have to be your story. It's my story. That's why I'm framing it on the wall for you. And our story is we, we're going to take these kids out of foster care and we get this. Ready? Holy shit. You're not going to believe it. We didn't, we didn't care if they were Asian or black or white. Like it never entered our minds. Now, I'm not asking you to pat me on the racial back. I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you that Di and I saw a need. Number one, our need to have a family. And number two, the need of kids in foster care to have parents. At that point, all bets were off. Our joke in our family is it took us like three years to realize that Mia was black and that Angel was Mexican. (laughs) Because when you adopt three kids all at once, that's the last damn thing you're doing. You're really worrying about survival. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like seriously day to day two of us three of them who the hell's gonna win i joke joking can get your ass in trouble today for the record so i'm just telling you so anyways those are my two frames one i have a reactionary frame as a human being who who watched the suffering of a man who just shouldn't have have suffered like that period end of story and not just that day perhaps but that day was the most horrific Right. And then my other frame is this idea that I am the actual benefactor of people that decided to stand up and say something. My children live in a wonderful home today because of that, because of that movement. And and here we are again. And for the record, the argument that's going on, why is it 2020 and this shit is still happening? Like, the assumption is time heals all wounds or time takes care of all things. That's bullshit. And we all need to really ingest that. Time is not a healer. It never has been. The healer is the divine. The healer is our collective love for ourselves, one another, and community and God. That's the healer. And if time then presents itself as a factor in that equation, great. But in this occasion... It is not. America still struggles with this. And it's not a dirty little secret. (laughs) This ain't a secret, everybody. I know we want it to be a secret because we really don't want this caustic conversation. And that's what it is. It's caustic right now. Doesn't have to be, but it is. So time doesn't heal all wounds. So racism is a part of the world. Racism, racism is, a, is a deal. It's a thing. And the elimination of it may be a little naive for people to say. Because what we really got to do is stand up against it and really understand what we 
want to do in our hearts, minds, and bodies when it comes to the problem of racism. Okay, so those are my two frames. So, I say, your love of God will, should, and must have the practice of justice. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about a group of people that have got flashlights and they're looking under every rock just to simply, you know, oh, there, we need some justice there. Oh, we need some. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this idea that practice looks like worship. It's feeding, clothing, and caring for those oppressed, marginalized, and forgotten. Now, when I say feeding, clothing, and caring, those are all quote air quotes around those words because I'm, I'm, it, they're more metaphorical than they are just simply literal feeding, clothing, caring. You can do the literal feeding, clothing, and caring. That would be great. That would be great. And there's organizations out there that feed and clothe and care, and they're wonderful, and we love that. But I want to dig into a little bit more metaphorical kind of understanding. When I say that practice looks like worship, feeding, clothing, caring for the oppressed, marginalized, and forgotten, what I'm talking about is making sure that we are meeting people's needs. Okay? So meeting people's needs is going to free people from oppression. It's going to recognize the marginalized. And it's also going to put focus on the forgotten in our culture and our society. So feeding, clothing, and caring is really this metaphor of taking care of people and meeting people's needs. Making sure that your neighbor... Right? That's an easy one to start with because the neighbor's right there. To make sure that everything's okay over there. Do you need anything? Can I help with anything? So those are all those ideas. And for the record, we don't need white guilt or black unity at that point to build this house that I'm talking about. When I Again, house is a metaphor, man. We're talking about the human experience in the community that we got. I don't need white guilt and I don't need black unity necessarily to build that house. What I need is the divine. I need God to build this house. If we go back and look at Martin Luther King real quick again, there is a love for the divine. There is a love for God. There is a beholding to the tenets of love, mercy, grace, compassion, and nonviolence. And nonviolence. People are going to ask me, what do you think about the looting and the rioting? Yeah, it sucked. I mean, come on. There's nobody that doesn't think that sucks. There may be a few people out there that just really want to justify the looting and the violence as a part of this problem. I don't think so. That's not wise of us to go there and do that. This is not wise. I mean, come on. But we do need the divine to build this house. We do need to look to the tenets of love. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, empathy, empathy. <laughs> When's the last time you had any empathy for people that were different than you? Really, think about this. When was the last time you had an empathetic thought for somebody different than you outside of your circle? That's a great question. Maybe you jot that down and look at that later. Justice looks like a people seeking the incarnation of love among them. Justice looks like a people, me and you, seeking the incarnation. Like, where has this thing come alive? Incarnation of love. Where has love come alive in us, among us, in our community? Where is that? Again, I'm the benefactor for that incarnation. My family came together because we all recognized the love among us. That there was need on either side of the fence. Our need for a family. Their need for a mom and dad. 
And again, collar had nothing to do with it. Like it never played a factor. How about that? It never played a factor. Justice looks like a people seeking the incarnation of love among them. And those kids, and me and Di, Di and I, we received massive blessings as a result. Now, it's been a pain in the ass and hard. Don't get me wrong. When you adopt three kids all at once from foster care, you are adopting stuff. And for the record, they were adopting stuff. (laughs) Imagine living with me. (laughs) We have to hold to the belief that we are one creation. And that's something that I find in debate as a reaction. Like, you know, I hate to tell everybody, but there's no, it's, there's no split races. We are, we, it's a human race. After that, it's, I mean, we all got the same stuff. Our colors may be different, but it's one race, human race. There's no division here. There's no category of such. Now, I know we as a construct, we as a society have made these things a construct, but it's bullshit. We all think, we all feel, we all cry, we all want love, we all want to receive love, we all want to give love, we all, we all have sorrow and joy and we mourn and we grieve. These are things that are just not one race to another. This is everybody. So we got to have a belief that we're one creation. And that sometimes takes a hell of a lot of time. Your worship needs to look like justice, period. Color. Ideology and political systems only serve to tell us things are jacked and they'll never change. Sorry, people are pinging me. I apologize. Color, listen to what I'm saying. Color, ideology, political systems only serve to tell us things are jacked and they will never change. Think about what I'm saying there. When we get into an oppositional holding point or an oppositional standstill, I'm right, you're wrong, left, right, up, down, we create more opposition. And the arguments around color or ideology or political system do that wonderfully. I mean, there's no easier place to look than what's going on in politics today, right? It is it, it, like somebody can't like so, like uh, here's another argument. Oh, we're not as uh, we're we're not as divided as we think. I'm like, what the f- we are divided. <laughs> that's all there is to it, and it's not because of one man. <laughs> that's that's the other thing. It's not because of one man. It's not, y'all. It's not. We're talking about color ideology and political system, and there's a few more systems out there. These systems, they just tell us how jacked up things are and they'll never change and they'll always be the same. And they just create more opposition. Opposition breeds more opposition. Violence creates more violence. Nonviolence, what? Creates more nonviolence. <laughs> just so you know. Again, I'm the benefactors. My family is the benefactor of what happened in the civil rights movement. And not just the civil rights movement of the 60s and the 70s. It was happening long before that. Your love for God, on the other hand, your love for the divine, will create a unitive consciousness of love for all. So as you experience God, as you experience the divine, as you do the deeper jump into who you are, spirit, center, love, universe, 
God, Buddha, Jesus, wherever you want to go in there. As you do that deeper jump to what's happening inside of you. What ends up happening is you end up creating, not creating, but really end up joining a unitive consciousness. And it joins you. You no longer are an island. You no longer are a silo, either with yourself, your community, your race, your color, your, your ethnicity, where you went to school. It, it, it's, it's no longer just, you know, separate, exclusive little blocks. You really start to understand uniformly that unitively you are joined and it joined you. And a great compassion starts to well up inside of you for everything, not just other human beings. Holy shit, like the planet. <laughs> you start to understand the planet as living and we must attend to it. You see animals the same way, right? You look around at the animal kingdom and no longer do they just simply are there. They're simply just there to serve you. But perhaps they are there to join you as well. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll see that. Maybe you won't. I hope you do. Perhaps at this point, this message is just too in the clouds. It's too airy-fairy, as one of my spiritual teachers would say. Is this too airy-fairy? Perhaps. But again, I'm a benefactor. I'm a benefactor of people who have stood up and said no more oppression. I'm a benefactor of people who stood up and said, let's love each other. I'm a benefactor of people who stood up and said, let's do this nonviolently. Let's not do this oppositionally. Let's do this as a sacrifice for all the people who are marginalized, oppressed, and forgotten. That takes balls, for the record. It takes courage for you to stand up. And again, I said this last week in the podcast. I said, this really happens in the moment when somebody's being a jackass when it comes to racial division. And you just decide to stop it. You just decide to say something. I was in Target one time with my daughter. Again, my daughter is black. And somebody was throwing some racist little shade on my beautiful daughter, who was, who was really, really doing nothing other than being in Target and happened to be black. And I noticed. And I saw her notice. And then I saw her kind of look up and away, like trying not to draw any more attention to it than needed. And I said something, because something needed to be said. And again, I was probably oppositional, reactionary, like KFU kind of a thing, <laughs> said the spiritual director. So I got a lot to learn too, but I'm a benefactor. Martin Luther King said, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. I believe that too. I believe that too, and I only say that and again, not airy-fairy at this point or not two in the clouds. I only say that because if you were to spend any time with my family, you would know that that quote or that essence of how he said that is like a real thing in my, in my house. And again, my house is nuts, man. 
I've got autism and depression and, and bipolar and borderline personality and I've got all I've got a I've got a, abandonment issue. I got all kinds of stuff going on in my family. And you know, you will you will ne- never meet five five people that are, you know, in some kind of construction like they are here. But I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word because I see it every day here. So how can you worship? What do you do? Jer, what do I do? What do I do? And then we'll end this damn thing. Number one, you pray. And I again, there's a lot of people out there debating that. Well, I feel like we pray all the time. It's just not working. I just want to go out and do something. When you pray for the record, you join something. When you decide to give what's going on inside of you to a greater understanding, which is prayer, or the idea of of a cry or a hope or a need, you join something. So don't think these are hollow words going into an empty universe and reflecting back nothing. Prayer is a construct that is not a construct. Prayer is a foundational kind of undercurrent of energy that needs to be heard. And again, I'm not saying pray by yourself in the corner. You can. My prayer is that your prayers are heard. They are loud. They are a cry. Let me say it again. My prayers for you are that your prayers are heard. Heard by who? They are heard by the divine, I have no doubt. Man, I hope your prayers are heard by other people. I do. I hope you're praying so loud that people hear your collective cry. Your cry for justice. Your cry to stop oppression. Your cry to help the marginalized. Your cry to touch the forgotten. Your cry to change systems that have some police doing stupid shit. Your cry that makes sure our leaders, at some capacity, are also held up to a responsibility. Your cry that at the end of the day, it's your problem to get out there and help fix. I also want you to look into your faith community. Who are they? Where are they? Look into your own faith community. You know, I challenged people the other day to do this. You know, they say Sunday is the most segregated time of our week. The most segregated day of our week is Sunday. So I I challenge you, if you're holding your hand up and praising Jesus, if you're going to synagogue or if you're in the mosque, or if you're going to temple, look around and understand who you're with. Understand where you're going as a community. And what does your faithful community do? What is the physicality when it comes to the feeding, the clothing, the caring for the oppressed, the marginalized, and the forgotten? Number three, meet need. Feed, adopt, teach, listen, care, and seek justice for. Meet the needs. If we want to end this, or if we want progress in this, or if we want to join unit of consciousness in love with this, or if we want to just level the playing field 
We have to meet need. We have to feed, adopt, teach, listen, care, and seek justice for. We can't just allow the division of community to be. We have to seek other community and do the best we can. Number four, change people, places, and things. Change people, places, and things. This is an important one. This is one that I want you to understand and may be the hardest one on my list. Because when you change people, places, and things, you are actively deciding, actively deciding to know new, to see new, to hear new. And there's nothing, there's nothing better for your spirit than to roll into new. Jesus said you got to be born again. Meaning you got to get new eyes and you got to get new ears and you have to have a new understanding. And he wasn't predicating that on behavior for the record, like most Christians think. Born again for most Christians is keep it zipped up and stop smoking cigarettes. No. Being born again is new consciousness. Change people, places, and things, y'all. Number five. Know the systems that oppress. Know the systems that oppress. Where do you see exclusivity? Where do you see an inclusiveness? Just where? Challenge those systems. Don't don't light a match, y'all. Don't break a window. Just know those systems. And don't headhunt. There's been so much damn headhunting going on. The cancel culture is alive. We need to cancel that. Again, my framework. There's some reaction going on here, but there's also some benefactor. There's also some, some benefactors that that I'm living in right now that have removed some of that oppressive system so I can have so I can live with some of my wants, needs and desires. But know the systems that oppress. Sometimes it's not just the whole system. Sometimes it's a a process or a rule in a system that needs to be changed. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's an ideology. Maybe it's a political system. At the end of the day, I am asking you to love. At the end of the day, I am asking you to take on the tenets of love. Every single wisdom tradition on the face of the planet and religion has a tenant, has the tenets of love. Love over there is love over here for the record. Truth over there is truth over here for the record. I am asking for grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I love you all very much. If you need me, I'm jr at jrman.com. jr at jrman.com. If you need me, I'm a spiritual director. More than happy to help you. I love you. Next week, special guest. Talk soon.